Welcome back to Hashtag Single with Jeanette Bonner. I am not a relationship expert or sex therapist. I'm just a regular New York City woman navigating the world as a single, independent feminist. Hashtag Single is about having honest conversations with other singles in today's device-obsessed culture. So I hope you'll join me on this interesting, challenging, and complex journey as we navigate the ins and outs of singledom. Hey guys, welcome back to Hashtag Single. I'm Jeanette, your host. Happy end of year. This is our final, final episode of 2021. In lieu of having a final one-on-one episode with a fabulous female single guest, I'm doing something a little different. It's been a crazy year. I don't know about you, but it's felt like 400 years to me. It's wild to think back about what we were doing and where we were at in January So if you didn't find you had enough time to listen to full episodes of the podcast this year, or if you're just a woman on the run and want the Cliff Notes version, I made a special bonus episode for you that has the very best little snippets of every single one of my guest expert episodes this year. We had an incredible array of female guests talking about everything from female empowerment to finances to dating while having kids and dealing with divorce. I mean, we really covered the gamut. I loved looking back at all these episodes. I hope you do too. I'm going to put in the episode notes if you want to listen to full episodes, or maybe just this nice mashup will be enough to encourage and inspire you to have a strong, badass, fabulous 2022. Either way, I hope you enjoy this episode, and I very much look forward to bringing you new content next year. Enjoy. Like you said, mm-hmm. maybe before you just had to show up and be like, and ask her dad out for a date. Maybe yeah. that's like really a long time ago. But like, you know what I mean? Like now, no, like uh, we, you and I talked about our own personal standards. Like it is not enough. You better, mm-hmm. you got to hit all, you got to climb all the way up to a hundred mm-hmm. to, to tell me that you're worthy of what I want in my life. And maybe yeah. that's, that's scary. Like that you have to work harder to win a woman over. Yeah. 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 Or that you're not viewed as this prize anymore. Cause I think that's the biggest part of it that men have been viewed as a prize. Um, even if you think about like, if you look at relationship coaches and dating coaches, I just, I wrote an entire story on, on why there's so many male dating coaches who are coaching women who are women's coaches. So it's, and one of the, yeah. And one of the coaches said that it was because he He's never come across a guy that said he wanted to learn how to connect better with his wife or with his girlfriend. It's always the opposite (laughs) where a woman wants to learn how to connect better with men or with her husband. And that to me is a big problem because, (laughs) because you should want to connect with your, with your wife or your spouse or, you know, your partner. But it's this idea that for us, for a woman to snag a man and to get a man to marry us, it's an achievement, you know, and he's a prize. And that view, I think, has made it maybe a little easier because it's like, okay, I want you. I want to marry you. And it was just like, I'm I'm flattered. It's like, okay, he wants to marry you. But now it's just like, oh, well, I don't know. I don't think this is going to work. Yeah. Or what if I I don't even want to be married? Right. You know, there's tons of women that are just like, I don't want that. Right. And it's kind of like, what? You know, how dare you? So, you know, I think there's maybe some hurt egos out there. And, you know, you don't like that. You don't like that if you if your ego is wounded to the point where it makes you feel insecure about yourself. 
So I think that's a big part of it. And though we are evolving, like I said, it's just the whole thing or old mindsets just die hard. Yeah, and change is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm, exactly. But if you say, hey, you know, when you're with uh, a partner and they have a job promotion, how do you celebrate that? Yeah. You know, yeah. that isn't female, female empowerment because you want to know how would someone handle your accomplishments? How would someone handle um, supporting you and it only being about you? Yeah. Right. That's definitely a, that's like a conversation. I feel like when you start to get to know someone, like maybe you actually meet in person. But I wonder if there's an easier way to break that down when you're just like first chit chatting with someone, like mm -hmm. first getting to know them. Sure. Is there like an, an easy icebreaker question that wouldn't have them running for the hills? Mm, yeah. So let's see. <laughs> One I would say um, is to again have your your boundaries and maybe even some of the the clues for you in mind, right? Because individually you're going to have different things that scream you know female empowerment and don't to you to me i think that you're going to have some differences in what you're looking for in a partner with how they handle female empowerment so you know for yourself definitely have some of those maybe phrases you know things that you would want them to say or things that you would want to hear ways that they may describe other women in their life or ways that they Ooh, may describe yes. their um, their partner in a way that's like, hey, when things are tough, what will you do? You know, what would be your role, right? So I wouldn't necessarily say you'd have to, you know, drill in very specific in the beginning questions, but I would say as you're talking and you you are maybe learning more about them, what they do, you know, their day to day, you might want to say, hey, this if they say this or if they mention these things or, you know, if there are certain ways they describe women in their life, that could give you a little bit more of an understanding about them. Again, especially in the, the beginning. So I, I mean, this seems like an antiquated problem, but here we are in modern culture, 2021. What is it about modern women that still places blame on women, but not on men? This feels like an equality issue that we just can't surpass. I think it just has to do with how we are assessed and valued, again, through quote unquote societal eyes. Mm. Men are valued for their earning potential, the job and the car they're driving and these other economic factors. That's how they are assessed as successful or not. And women, we can have all those other things, but really at the end of the day, and not that you and I think this, but the majority of people still, whether they realize it or not, they value women based on who the woman is in relationship with. And that starts with who are you dating and what does he do? Right. And then mm -hmm. it's, oh, what does your husband do? And I mean, we take their names when we get married. I mean, is there any more profound way to identify with another person than to share the same name? So and then yeah. after that, it's, well, who's your who's your whose kid is yours? Which kid is yours? So then we go to our identity is always assessed and our value and our worth in society is estimated by our relationships. So what happens is then grandma and mom are worried that if their daughter doesn't have that relationship, they are worried that others will see her as less than. They will devalue her worth as a person and member of the society. So then grandma and mom go, shoot, did we raise her incorrectly? We didn't teach her how to snag a man. So then grandma and mom say things very disparaging, like fix it, fix it. Whatever you're doing, 
with the men? Get, I mean, do you need to flirt more? I mean, do you need to put on more makeup? Do you need to lose 10 pounds? Do you need to look, wear a low cut dress? Whatever you need to do, fix it because we need you to have the status that we think you deserve because we love you. It's coming mm. from a place of love that doesn't feel right. like that. And so fix it and then elevate your status so that you can be deemed worthy of being in partnership with a man. And then we can breathe a sigh of relief that we've done our job and you're okay and everyone sees the worth and the value that you inherently have but we need society to give their approval as well it's so crazy to me that that we're still dealing with that oh but we are but i know well you know that makes me think of two things well first of all it reinforces what you were just talking about like people are afraid to not be in relationships because it almost has this kind of like picked for picked last for kickball feeling like um Mm -hmm. You know, and I've been asked my fair share of like, why are you single? You seem like a great person. (laughs) The subtext being you're obviously there's some hidden flaw that I can't find since nobody has found you yet. I've also been, um, you know, I've, I've had language, uh, delivered to me of like, um, well, you're pretty, you'll find someone kind of like, <laughs> like someone will, will discover you on this tree. Don't worry about it. Just bide your time kind of thing. You know what I mean? But, um, and I, I do, I literally have a quote on my wall that I don't remember it. So I'm not going to misquote it, but I'm going to paraphrase it in that it's like, uh, most people in the world are in relationships because being single is scarier than the prospect of, um, staying in a unhappy relationship. I want to share this side story with you. So when I read that chapter, I was curious about what my mother's experience has been because my mom and I don't even talk about my dating life. Yeah. <laughs> Part of me is like, I think that's because she's <laughs> given up on me. <laughs> but but I was like, you know what? Let me just ask. I wonder yeah. what she says when people ask her about my single life. You know, like, why is she still single? She must be too picky, et cetera. So I asked her and I want to just share this with you. So she said she hasn't fielded that question from people. She says it's a very personal question and it doesn't come up. So that's one thing, you know, but she said to me, if it did, she would say she's got a very busy life and she doesn't want to be tied down to anyone or anything. She just wants to be happy on her own. I'm sorry that she doesn't have a companion. I would love for her to have a companion, but I think she's living her life on her own terms and doing what makes her happy. And that makes me happy. Oh, I love I, I was like, well, I mean, I do want a companion and um, I'm not necessarily like, uh, I don't refuse to be tied down, but um, everything else she got, you know, 98% correct. Like yeah. I'm very happy. I do have a busy life um, and not for nothing. It is none of their business. So right. Right. So bravo, mom. Yeah. I love that. I'm so glad that you you asked her because that so that's to me that seems like we have made some progress. We actually have. We really have. At the same time, I do hear from women in my community. They will when I post something along the lines of people's impressions of you because you're single, they will sometimes they'll say my mom's the worst. So I think it, it still exists. But I'm so glad to know because I and I again, my mom. There were some moments early on when I come home for Christmas and they'd be like, well, are you seeing anyone? I'd be like, you know what? If there's anyone that I'm seeing that I'm excited about, you guys will be the first to know for sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, but also if I come home and I am crying in my bedroom and I don't want to go out and have fun and I'm, I can't even enjoy the holidays because I'm so despondent by, 
about being single, which mm, I'm not, am I? Have, have I ever done that coming home? Then we can worry about <laughs> me and my single yeah, status. Yeah, but good since, point. You know, I tried to, try to encourage them. This isn't fake. Like I'm not faking that I'm happy. I am really happy. Now, of course, I, when I called off my wedding, there were some months of difficulty. I'm not saying that every moment in my single season was whistling Dixie pie in the sky and, and tripping through the daisies. But I wanted to encourage them that like you, you're, you're like, I am happy. It's not like you've written off ever being partnered, but you're, this, this is not, this is not a second best life that you're living right now. Yes. Yes, exactly. Well, and it felt really good to hear that what I put forward is what they're seeing. Yeah. So they see that I'm content and happy in my life, that I'm busy, but not to distract myself from unhappiness. Like I have embraced my life and I'm enjoying it. And I love that even though I feel that way, that's seen and reflected mm-hmm. by my family. They're like, she's good. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like that feels really nice that they can see that and feel confident in that, you know? My p- second favorite thing in your book is this fun fact. And it's so amazing that I have to just read it out loud <laughs> because I literally laughed out loud. Two fun facts about ejaculate in the eye. One, <laughs> it can remove lash extensions. My lash lady told me that. Also, if you use artificial tanner, it can leave you with some pretty unique splash patterns. First of all, I wish I was a fly on the wall when your lash lady and you started talking about ejaculate. <laughs> uh, Is that just like a PSA she adds to everybody that she's treating? Uh, no, I don't think so. But it was funny because we were talking about like lash cleaning and like, you know, when people come in with dirty lashes, how they don't stick as well. And she's like, sometimes I have clients that come in with cum in their eyes. And I was like, stop. No, you don't. And she's like, yeah, girl, I do. And I was like, oh, my God. Wait, and they're then, literally like, I need assistance, like emergency 911. Well, you no, she just, she was like, but she was like, you know, we can tell if it's like eye crusty or it's like cum. And I was like, that's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I mean, you really should get a little pamphlet at the end being like. Well, I don't, you know. yeah, it's not, you know, it's like, you know, okay, try to avoid these cleaners and face washes <laughs> that have this chemical in there and there's no avoid ejaculate, but it should be. So it should be, that should be a PSA for everyone. Do you, do you have any other random fun facts about sex? I bet you have a million. Um, well for the self tanner one. So I am a black woman, so I don't self tan, but this is actually from a sexologist friend. She found this out anecdotally because she was with a guy and she was like sending me photos. She goes, look at my chest. And I was like, what happened? Oh no. She's like, he came on my chest and now my self tanner's all splotchy. I have so many questions about the chemical reaction of that yeah just i don't know like some kind of caustic fluid takes off that uh tanner (laughs) but you gotta wonder like what's more caustic you know what i mean like what kind of things are in that tanner versus like what is it about you know because it's not caustic on your skin yeah it might just be to the colorant or something i don't know and now i'm thinking like whoa could there be some kind of market for like laundry care but i'm like no now (laughs) now it's like a tide pen made with gum organic tide pen like oh no that's not you're like honey honey i just got some tomato sauce on these white pants could you just can you imagine that commercial oh my god Can you just go in the bathroom real quick? <laughs> put it put it in this little pen. Oh my god. I don't know. There might be an undiscovered market that we just hit upon. We'll we'll hit up Shark Tank. I'm sure they're gonna be sure to pick us. <laughs> 
him speaking to four men. Yeah. Four men in their 50s. Oh, my God. <laughs> you guys, you had the secret all along and you didn't even know. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, any more, please? I want at least one more. Oh, my gosh. Um, this should be a course in your sexologist degree, by the way. <laughs> they should I literally be like, <laughs> fun facts you didn't know. Okay, so anecdotally, I've heard from women I've done workshops for um, whose partners are super into, like, bodybuilding and stuff, and they're on these, like, high-protein, like, smoothie powder diets, and they're, like, the ejaculate is, like, bleach. It smells terrible. It tastes terrible. And I was like, oh, wow. So there must be something true with the, like, idea that, you know, things like beer, cheese, uh, red meats, those all contribute to a more... I'd say strong or aggressive tasting and smelling ejaculate as opposed to things like fruit, water, sure. herbs. And so I was like, huh, there might be something to that. So again, again like what the hell is in protein shakes that makes it smell and taste like bleach? I don't know. But it's like, who's going to you know fund that research? Like, hey, we're going to have a bunch of guys just eat a bunch of random foods and then taste their ejaculate. <laughs> who's going to? I just love the, the idea of a, a room full of women just like tasting bowls of cum yeah like what who's gonna fund this, this? one's nicer than the other one yeah this i would buy much, this much more palatable 10 out of 10 would recommend <laughs> 10 out of 10 would recommend um dear god <laughs> did you ever think you'd have this conversation on a podcast no but i love it <laughs> yes I'm, I'm i'm having a great time we should be having again, like talking about normalization, whatever. Like my my podcast goes everywhere and beyond. We talk about very serious things. We talk about very silly things. We talk about dating horror stories. Like there's nothing off topic for me because I love having these conversations. I think this is like women talk about these things when you're out, you know, getting a drink together or brunch. So why can't we admit that we have these conversations? You know, I'm my own best client, right? And I'm authenticity and integrity are such core values of mine that they are the driving forces between my or behind my business rather. So like I can say this with a great degree of certainty. I I I live this. Like I walk my own talk. Mm. Um for me, the best thing about dating with children is that like ain't nobody got time for bullshit. Period. <laughs> yes. there, there's no, there's no waffling and there, there's no waffling. And I'm not like over committing to a relationship in my head and sabotaging it. And I know there's somebody sitting there being like, she's doing this. I'm not doing that. There's, I'm not walking through a relationship 10 seconds in and like foreseeing the future and then ending it in the future. So I don't have to commit to it. That that's not happening. Mm-hmm. I am so clear on what my needs are as a person. And I am so clear on what our needs are as a family, that it's a ridiculously accurate filter as to who can come into our lives, Mm. period. Right. Um, that's a blessing and a curse (laughs) because, Mm -hmm. you know, the, um, and the pandemic definitely has made this more challenging uh, as well that, you know, some of us want a long term relationship and some of us, while waiting for a long term relationship, are very cool to have a short term relationship. And mm-hmm. and that can be a little bit tricky, of course, in the pandemic, but of course, balancing a family as well, because there's not a lot of um, room for spontaneity. So, you know, if I have my kids have time, that means that for one week, I'm 100 percent on. And even when they're not physically in my care, my brain is still, you know, simmering away of like, I do need to make sure I'm available in case anything goes wrong. Right. So it's like, you don't fully turn it off. Uh, But yeah, there's no like, Hey, what are you doing tonight? You want to grab this? It's like, I 
can't, but how about next Wednesday? You got to plan it. Yeah. You know, and so that that's a challenge I find while there's still a lot of freedom and especially as I say, with respect to knowing so specifically what you want and need, it's just, it's like an incredible filter or lens that you can put onto a relationship and even, um, like visualizing that relationship. Like it's so easy mm. to tap into exactly who this person is and what the dynamic feels like for our family and, and for my own um, intimate relationship. That is such an advantage, I think, to having kids because you just you just know so accurately what you want. I love that you use the term freedom in that too, because I think there's a mindset for um, single women that the more selective they are, uh, the less likely they are to find someone or God forbid they're, this word has come up in previous podcasts, they're picky, but I love that you think that that's a, that's an advantage. That's a benefit. There's freedom to knowing exactly what you want. That's beautiful. I really do. And I feel like we, and you know, I've struggled with this myself, but we lose sight of the scale right? We get so focused on what we can see, touch, look at, whatever. We forget that there are like 7 billion people in the world. The scale of how many people are available is shocking. Like, I don't think you can fully wrap your head around it. And so, you know, we meet three people and it's like, and I've totally done this. It's like, well, yes, that's it for me. Like there's I'm no, forever. I'm single forever. And it's like, okay, you've dated three people. So maybe we could just <laughs> dial that back and extrapolate that there are so many more people. So what is the biggest shift that you saw in dating, like as a whole yeah. in the pandemic? Um, I think people were, and, and even now, like I'm seeing this getting a little bit more, believe it or not, serious about it. Mm -hmm. They were really starting to become a little bit more aware of what was really important to them. So it got a little easier, I think, Yeah. Uh, in matching. Because sometimes, you know, when you're busy, 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 and you're like, okay, here's what I want. You just make a list of things. But you don't really have time to sit and reflect after a date or before a date or your last relationship, even sometimes you just jump right back into dating. Mm -hmm. So I think people had a little bit more time to reflect and really go, okay, let me just narrow this down and, and get specific and really think about what's important. So I think we're still seeing that, which is good. Yeah. Um, but now there's more people dating. Yeah. So it's good. There were definitely, were there, there were people that like said, I'm taking a pause. I'll come back. Yeah. We had, uh, I don't know what the percentage is. I wish I've Probably should have put that in my notes somewhere, but we definitely had a, a, a certain percentage of clients that took a pause, um, went on hold. You know, I don't know if I want to do virtual. I don't know if I want to meet. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what I want to do yet. Let's just see what what happens. Um, and then they'd come back and be a little bit more reflective. And a lot of people were on hold for the whole summer, you know. Of 2020? Of 2020. Yeah. 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 Are there people that, like, took the entire pandemic off and are just rejoining? Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, the people that weren't probably comfortable dating virtually. Right. Especially. Yeah. Or, you know, even when their restaurants started reopening, still weren't necessarily leaving their house. Right. So right. They were like, That's I'm true. not ready. You know, it's it's just been really fascinating to me to talk to people about everyone's particulars, uh -huh. like <laughs> what people are comfortable with, people's boundaries, yeah. like whether this was a time to increase your dating. Like some people there was like there was increased loneliness. Yeah. So there was more swiping, but less dating. Yeah. Or there was like less swiping because people were like, no one's being serious. <laughs> so I'm not going to play yeah. this dumb game. Yeah. It's just been, you know, it's just so fascinating to me that how, how different the whole thing has yeah. gone for people. It's really strange because some of the people you would think would be out there were like not dating at all. 
Um, you know, like we had a lot of old, older men and women that were dating virtually that I'm surprised they, they, you know, they wanted to do that. But a lot of, I will just say in general, people felt more comfortable with doing a Zoom first because it was like less wasted time because then you can, you know, see that person really get to, there's no filter on Zoom, right? Get to know them and then decide, do I want to meet this person? So it actually was more time efficient. <laughs> I, I love it. I keep yeah. saying, I was like this, you know, what I'm going to take going forward, I would like to, it's just like to implement the FaceTime date. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, it's a really nice screening process. Did you end up getting like new clients in the pandemic? A lot. Really? I think the loneliness, like people yeah, that were, and especially those that were single for a long time, but didn't really have the time to take it, that were forced to, I mean, I don't want to say men or women, but you know, there were a lot of people that just were like, wait, I don't, I don't cook for myself. I don't go, I usually go out to a restaurant and meet people in meet my friends and now I'm at home. So we got a lot of new clients. Amazing. I didn't really see, it wasn't a difference in like a huge difference in the amount of people joining. It might've been a little bit, you know, of the people that were on hold and not dating, but we still got a lot of new clients throughout the whole pandemic. That's interesting to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. But I, I think like you said, going back to like based on the conversations I've had in the yeah. past year, I do think because people were Face to grapple with their loneliness Mm -hmm. and there was a lot more time to really just not be distracted by your life but to Mm -hmm. really sit and evaluate okay here I am at in my life what is it I'm doing what is it I want with my life what is my future let me not just do things just to like entertain myself or distract myself but let me get serious about how to move forward and How do I make those steps happen? So I can see why people might reach out to a matchmaking Mm -hmm. agency for that assistance. Yeah. The virtual thing really, I think, was a huge help with that. But, you know, it's funny because a lot of people that called in didn't even ask, like, how how are we supposed to date right now? They just, (laughs) they're like, help. Just just like, get us on dates. Yeah. So you guys say that one of the reasons you wanted to create a double dating app was to create a safer environment for women Mm -hmm. in terms of the numbers of sexual assault crimes against women that stem from people that they meet while dating. I hope you don't mind if this gets too personal, but that's also the kind of the MO of hashtag single. Did this stem from any specific experience that either of you guys had? I've had a bunch of near misses um so i feel very fortunate that nothing happened to me but at the same time when we reflect back on those near misses it could have been really tragic um so Mm -hmm. for example one of one of the examples that we the stories that we talk about is when i was a student at penn state and we went to the hockey house because they were having a party and you know there was a boy that i was interested in and all my friends had left because they didn't know that i wanted to stay to talk to this boy And so I was left alone and it was probably, you know, a few hours had passed and then I was like, okay, like I probably should go home. And it's very difficult at Penn State to get a a taxi before the days of Uber and Lyft. So it was extremely difficult to get a taxi. So I just started walking because it was like two, three o'clock in the morning and I was like, you know, ready to be home and in my bed because it's freezing in in the valley and I wasn't made for that kind of weather. So um, I was walking home and... Um, that was a Saturday night so Sunday happens Monday I go to class and I look at the Daily Collegiate which is a school newspaper and it's talking about how a girl was walking home by herself on College Ave at 3 o'clock in the morning Sunday morning which is where I was at that time um, and she was pulled into the bushes and she was raped by a man Um, so that was really 
you know, scary to, to read about because, yeah. I mean, who knows how much sooner or how much later that it was her instead of me. Right. So, I mean, that's awful. Someone should never be in that situation. You shouldn't be going home by yourself, you know? You should be with a friend. So with foreplay, I mean, it solves that problem. You're going out with your friend. You're coming home, hopefully, with your friend. Um, so that was just one of the, one of the uh, experiences that, you know, I've had that really motivates us to want to make it a safer dating space yeah i think also you know we have physical safety in mind but we also have um protecting mental health in mind um Mm. and i think that women who have had experiences with sexual trauma um it is really hard for them to think about going on a dating app with a stranger that they met on the internet Um, But it also feels like it's the only way to meet someone. Like, it it doesn't really feel like there are any other options these days. If you're single, like, that's how you're going to meet the person that you'll be in your next relationship with, sadly. Um, It feels feels like that's more of a truth every day. And so how do we give those people a chance to use the modern technology in a way that feels more comfortable for them? Um, Yeah. And, and also, I mean, for me, in my personal history, um, I am in recovery from an eating disorder. Um, and so for me, I feel that the one-on-one dating thing, um, while I'm willing to have one-on-one dates once I feel comfortable and, and have chemistry with someone, um, they are uncomfortable for me uh, the, when, when I meet someone random from the internet (laughs) Um, because I don't like feeling like I'm being assessed like that I'm being Mm. watched you know like what I'm drinking what I'm eating that's something that I'm very aware of um, given my history with an eating disorder Um, and I feel that bringing a friend um, kind of takes the pressure off like I don't feel that I'm judged as much I feel like every everybody's kind of distracted Um, and I feel that I can just be myself because I'm being myself with my friend so I, I think you know we have to think about the people who aren't just typical. Um, there are so many people who feel unsafe using the dating apps, feel vulnerable using the dating apps, and particularly women. So we want to give women a dating app that makes them feel more confident. I love that. I think you guys address a lot of issues that are not spoken about in the dating culture. Um, there is an assumption that everything is going to be fine, but we have to be realists and realize that every single time that you put yourself out there, you're exposing yourself to potential risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also very emotionally challenging to introduce yourself to a, a total stranger and be in a place of, of judgment and, as you said, being assessed. And the, like you said, the mental implications of of that in every everyday small ways that we we just don't talk about like dating is so hard on multiple levels it asks a lot from women every single time they do it and yet it's 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 cast off as like this casual thing that you're just supposed to know how to do that you're supposed to be good at that you're supposed to be okay with doing that we do because everyone else does it but the more we have these conversations that really talk about the reality of dating which is what I'm trying to do with this podcast like what is it really like out there Mm-hmm. What messages are men receiving? Yeah. How am I being treated when I go on a first date? Why isn't this freaking working? 
then hopefully we can really get to a better place in our society. We really have been like oversimplifying the the dating process like by and people think it's easier that way. Like a lot of people who aren't involved in it, like we have many friends who have been in relationships with their boyfriends or husbands since college and they never they never swiped right per se. And they think it's never been easier. But the truth is because it's so simple, it's actually oversimplified to the point where we question ourselves if it's not working because it's just so simple. Mm-hmm. But in reality, it's not supposed to be that simple. Like there should be a period of like getting to know one another. And like there's more than just swiping on someone's picture, like get to know one another, yes. like before expecting chemistry or before before expecting something romantic to bud. It's so crazy. I think I talk about this a lot. The expectation that it's just supposed to like magically work or magically be good or magically be safe when Mm -hmm. there's so many things that I'm like, like, no, I'm not going to give you my phone number before we meet. No, I'm not going to come to your apartment on the first date. No, I'm not going to allow you to send me pictures before I know what you look like in person. Like, it's insane to me. It is. I'm just like... (laughs) Why? Like, I think people, at least the guys that I'm like talking with just are like so excited to jump into like relationship territory. And yes. I'm like, I don't know you. You don't know me. Yeah, like, that is uh, this. I mean, don't even get me started because I get so passionate about this. The I don't know you. Why are you trying to connect with me on every single platform that you're yes. on? Why are you asking for my Instagram? I don't want you seeing mm-hmm. what my nieces and nephews look like. Or my, it's, mm-hmm. it's very weird to me. Why are you like sending me pictures while you're like on your hike instead of enjoying your hike when I've never met you in real life? It's very strange to me. It's, it's, <laughs> it's like, what's, what's the deal there? It's because we're just so easily accessible and now we're so easily exposable. If you are thinking of divorce, if you're going through divorce, or even if you're single and you don't know about your money, find someone to help you through and educate you just a little bit. You don't need to be a pro. Don't ever do it. It's not, unless it's a passion, don't try to become one. But um, like for me, I love it. But I just, it's such a great thing to learn a little bit, even if it's just listening to podcasts like this today and just knowing, hey, others feel the same way as I do. I have anxiety about this money stuff. It's okay. Well, also just having an ally, like I, I feel like there's a stigma again, a generalization, but there, I believe that there is a stigma of women talking to male financial advisors, you know, because we, in our culture, there's a huge lack in education and financial literacy, and there's a huge lack in financial literacy in like teaching that information to our daughters. So there's a lot of times that like women feel weird talking about men in the financial space. So being able to talk to you and being like, yo, I do not know what this is, you know what I mean? Like, and just be honest about it and be like, I'm overwhelmed or like, this is confusing to me. I don't understand this language. I imagine that feels really like, it's like a safe space. Like I said, you're an ally to people who may feel a little adrift in a situation that's a new or uncomfortable to them. Exactly. And it doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. You're all, you know, it's, it's all the same. We all feel these terrible feelings when it comes to money. And on top of that, having other experiences going on in life, because life is not just linear of nothing's going wrong, but one thing, there's a lot of things going on. So having an ally is huge. So you have uh, this beautiful title, behavioral financial advisor, which I'd truth be told, never heard of until I read your bio. All this stuff is brand new. So anyone who's listening, I promise if 
if you haven't heard of it, you're not the only one, just like you just said, like no one knows about it yet. It's brand new. And so the certified financial planning designation I have, they just this year added to the examination process that takes a year to study for. They just added behavioral finance as one of the pillars that people need to know about. So it's brand new, um, mm. just a few years old. And, and it's all about the emotions and investing and talking about your money. Like, how do you get to where you are? What kind of investor are you? Are you a saver versus a spender and why, and how did you get there? So it really develops the, the acknowledgement of emotions and investing because we all have them. I don't care if you are on TV as the biggest financial expert, you still have emotions and you're still trying to uh, work through that with your own financial situation. And so it just dives into all this fun terminology that has to do with money and emotions, which as you can tell, if I work with a therapist and I work with money, I'm totally in that world. I love it, but it's new. It's a new world. It's so fascinating because it's so real. And I guess like, I love that it was just acknowledged because there's such a stigma around money and it all comes from the way that you were taught about money and how your family approaches money. Money is the root of all evil. All of these things that they might've heard as a child still with them. So even if they could have done really good with that money, they still think it's greedy to have, and they're going to get rid of it, whether they know they are or not. So they have to work through those issues of, okay, well, if I have a few million and I work through how I was spoken to in childhood and money doesn't grow in trees, let's say it's one of the things they heard or scripts. There's a lot of different things that people grow up with. Um, and if you get through that, you can use money for good. If you thought it was greed and now it's good, you can change your mentality behaviorally with money. So there is, it's fascinating that you bring that up because that's a huge thing that we talk about in my financial psychology Institute classes all the time. I I think that the whole topic of behavioral finance, as you call it, or what was the phrase you just used? Financial therapy as well. Financial therapy and the psychology of money. Is that it? That's one and behavioral neuroeconomics. Oh my God. Um, But it's totally, it's so interesting. And I think that's like, it's also tied into the way that we're weird about money in America. I feel like what's trending right now is that people are getting really clear with what they need from people. And if they meet someone or match with someone that's not going to fill that need, move the fuck on, you know? God, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I hope so, too. (laughs) I I use the word generally because I'm not meeting these people all the time. Um, You know, it's funny, even just what we were just talking about, like in terms of right now, people feeling more comfortable sharing their needs. I think I personally think it's, it's much harder for, for women, um, you know, and I may be biased, but like to be vocal about what they want. Um, Mm. I think just because of, you know, societal norms and how we were raised, like, I think it's just very easy for us to like fall into this accommodating, um, role that we've played for so long. So I guess yeah. I would say with our story, and I don't want to repeat myself because I think I've already kind of gone on a tangent about this, but I, I do think like in terms of like the larger umbrella of what people are looking for, I hope our story is kind of showing that like when you tap into yourself and you're able to 
better express who you are and what you're looking for. And you're, you're able to be honest about that with yourself and the person that you're dating, you're more likely going to find what you're looking for. And you're more likely going to find connection. And I say that too, cause it's like, it's personal to me. Like, I feel like I've been dating for a really long time too. And that was kind of the journey I went on where it's like, Oh, I'm trying to like play like the cool girl and like pretend I don't want a relationship or I don't care. I'm like chill and laid back. Right. That's like the, <laughs> the role that I feel like I thought I was supposed to fill. And then it's like, how do I tap into being more authentic into like what I want and like sharing my needs and like sharing what I'm looking for. And so I feel like we were trying to show that in our story um, of like being honest with about what you want. And, and hopefully that then you're then able to find someone who can meet you there. Beautiful. Another thing that a lot of women share or something that I know I personally relate to is just like, is people pleasing? Like, I think that that's just been a huge part of my own personal growth story. Um, especially also like in terms of, and in relationship to desire and just kind of that automatic instinct of putting somebody else's needs Mm -hmm. in front of your own, instead of just taking the moment to be like, what do I actually want? What do, what's my desire? I'm a woman and I'm allowed to like have desire. (laughs) And so even in like our character story, again, just some something as simple as hearing, like being called nice, being, hearing these things over and over again, and just taking a moment, like in a date, in the moment, be able to like pause and be like, Hey, that actually bothered me that you said that as opposed to just nodding and going along and being like, Oh, I don't want to ruffle any feathers because then what if I'm not liked? Um, so yeah, I don't know. I was just thinking about that. And I think hopefully, yeah, I mean, everything that, everything that Aaron said, you know, hopefully our story is, is able to be one that is empowering and that you can can really see all the great things that can come from leading with your authentic self and uh saying no to people pleasing and and putting yourself first and the ownership of of and this is like 100 percent what i talk about on the podcast all the time it's just like ownership of where you're at in your life and like being at peace with who you are and the circumstances that you're in you know i think that's something that we all struggle with Uh, women and men, but women especially, 100%. I think everyone thinks that's sort of like, sometimes it could be three, like a thruple or like four, like two partners sharing. So um, I think that's why there's so much miscommunication about polyamory is because it's a little undefined and it's different for everybody, but that's what makes it thrilling and exciting too, you know? Yeah, it's funny because there is an overrepresentation and the little bit of representation that there is about polyamory there's for some reason an overrepresentation of triads like you're talking about and i don't know what it is i don't know if it's because it's more i don't know it feels like more out there for people so they're just more interested in that kind but there's it's i mean there's plenty of very healthy triads but it's not been my main experience with polyamory do you prefer the word triad over thruple cuz i haven't heard triad before yeah, I don't know why I don't really like the word thruple. It just feels it's so, it's corny. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. I hate it. I hate it coming out of my mouth. I hate saying it. Like... Yeah, and maybe because it's it's it tries to change the word couple, and I'm like, well, yeah, it's just like yeah, a yeah, different yeah. thing altogether. Valid, super valid. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so back to your personal story. You were you were in the middle of breaking up with your two partners when this show came to be? 
Yeah. So I had, you know, two relationships takes a lot of time. <laughs> and then yeah. one of them went away. So I had all this time on my hands and I was experiencing this very unique thing of, like I said, having a romantic partner console me through this breakup. And I just started writing. Um, so by the time the first representation um, came about, I was only dating one person, Don, who I'm still with. Um, and yeah, that's where I was in my life. I had an idea. I had learned a lot. I had an idea of the mistakes I had done in my early, you know, relationships managing um, just this like first foray into polyamory. But the show was really covering my journey to it. So the journey, even before I had my two partners, just starting to question monogamy and starting to do explorations. This the show also starts when I moved to New York City from Montreal, which I think for me was just kind of like, oh, now I'm really anonymous in this very large city. And I think it's a very common thing that people move to New York City and then start to explore things that they were not yeah, um, able to do like in their small town. Identity. Yeah. yeah, I think that's really, that's a really good point. So you've been dating this person for a long time. Are you technically back into monogamy or? No. Okay. So it's no. him plus others as well. Yeah. So I did break up with a different partner again last winter. <laughs> so now we, I do only have him as a partner, but he has been with another partner for three years and I love her. We get along really well. She's a part of our family. She and I don't have a romantic or sexual relationship, but honestly, we have a very, very deep unique kind like I struggle I wish there were better words to describe our bond because I think friendship just doesn't cut it mm -hmm. like the kind of intimacy that you develop with someone when you share a partner like just from the fact that she has intimacy with this person that I also love and have intimacy with and we do share you know we don't all live together but we do share you know sometimes we'll spend a week together in a cabin, you know, upstate, we'll go on a trip. And she's really, yeah, she's a part of my family. And I think that's something I discovered in polyamory that I was not at all expecting when I first set out to explore it. Mm -hmm. I was, at first I was really thinking about my desire to, I think, remain an individual also be able to explore not just sexually i think a lot of people think of polyamory as a way to have multiple sexual partners and 100%. sure yeah yeah sure that's one side of it and i think some people will leave it at that like some people have very defined boundaries around what they would call a primary relationship and then they'll have everything that's kind of secondary and that's much more casual or if there are feelings involved it's clearly you know lesser than this sort of primary relationship where you do everything the same as most monogamous couples will do it like you you know like meet family and maybe you live together have children get married that sort of stuff um but for me it was just clear that with different partners, I developed different kinds of intimacy and I feel different sides of myself come out. Mm. And I just could never conceptualize just choosing the one person forever. And just the idea that I would, you know, like the idea that this person would have to fill every single one of my needs. And it just felt... I don't know. It felt claustrophobic insane. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. When you put it that way, I'm like, it does sound <laughs> totally insane, actually, that you're going like, to yeah. find one person. Yeah. I mean, as a person who's been single for 10 years, the longer I'm single, the more that idea sounds 
totally absurd to me like, <laughs> that I'm gonna I'm gonna miraculously suddenly find this one person that's going to like be this this figure in my life for all of those reasons so I I'm vibing with what you're saying I was thinking like when you were trying to describe the, yeah, there is a lack of word for that kind of particular relationship with, um, the female partner of your partner. Um, and I'm just thinking about the level of trust that would have to be there would supersede just a standard level of trust in a friendship like that. I can see why friendship doesn't feel significant enough because you two have to have such an intense bond and so much trust in each other and faith in each other and comfort and communication like yeah it's like almost like a like a sisterhood if you will like a sister it is yeah or like so by the way the word for like your partner's partner is metamor that's like what they're called oh, in the I've polyamorous lingo before. yeah that's and it's so funny cool. yeah it's funny because i don't love that word like it's fine like whenever i talk to people who know polyamory or know the word like i can say like oh my metamor then they'll know who that is um i think it sounds beautiful yeah i don't know I'm, maybe it sounds italian to me like 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 it comes from a par- like paramour is what it makes me think of yeah exactly yeah but for me metamor seems to put the emphasis on the person in between us and the way i like to do mm. my relationships is that i really care about developing like an actual smart. one-on-one relationship with that person if they yeah. want to you know that's you know that's ideally how i want to do it and um, yeah, when I started my polyamorous journey, I had I didn't think about that at all. Like I think, and a lot of people who like you might be thinking about this, you know, when you imagine yourself maybe in um, a non-monogamous relationship, just like all the feelings of jealousy and having mm-hmm. to share. Mm-hmm. And I think we're really focused on what will this person take away from me. Ooh. And you know, I'm not gonna lie, I'm I'm almost. I mean, the very beginning of my questioning was 10 years ago. So I've, I've, I've been through this for a long time. And yes, there, there are feelings of jealousy and things to negotiate and boundaries and things like that at first. And especially like you pointed out, building trust with that person that you're sharing a partner with. But once you're on the other side of that, you can start thinking about all the things that that person can bring to your life. Yeah. And for me, like Ali, my metamor, she's also a writer and we have a ton of stuff in common. We really like to hike together. We emotionally, I think we process a lot of experiences the same. So we often, you know, like call each other for help. And when I moved to New York City, making friendships, platonic friendships was very hard for me. Mm it seemed like everybody was busy. And if when I met new people and I tried to make friends, if there wasn't the possibility for sex or love, people just didn't have time for me on their calendar. Oh man. You know, and and I've talked to people who also have the same experience. So I think for me, polyamory just kind of gave me a framework to build a different kind of family that's very, close that we're committed to have long-term projects with and just like other people who have my back if that makes sense i do think there is some truth to yes you'll never know that particular bond and that particular love and you and if you make that decision not to be not to be a parent then i guess you just you have to come to terms with that 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 is something you won't know in your life just as having children means that 
the freedom that we have right now is something that people with kids will never know you know true. In right. adult true. life yeah, yeah they'll never know what it's like to be middle-aged and single without children it's so fun but the other big issue with being child-free uh, by choice is that um people really judge that choice yeah so it's sort of like um oh you must be really selfish or or they'll say a lot of things like um oh there's still time they think that the decision is temporary or they think um uh, that that I I that it's just because I don't have a man or something like that. It's really crazy, and it's sort of like, you know, you hear all this stuff about the most important job is being a mom. It's like, okay, am I am I a woman if I didn't give birth? Like that, my body. People say, oh, your your body was made for this, and so if if you're not doing this thing, your body was made for. Are you not, you know, fulfilling this, you know? prophecy sort of so to speak again i'm an atheist as you read in my bio so um but people get really um judgmental if this is the choice that you make it's kind of amazing how often people will be rude enough to um speak to me openly about that choice i made yeah Mm -hmm. i think it comes from a place of like we you all have to come to terms with any choice that you make like if you decide in your life to have a child in it, it is hard, but you have committed to it. You have to convince yourself that it is the best decision. So other people's decisions, therefore, how could you not have children? You're selfish. How dare you? That's the only yeah. logic I can come of it. Well, it's it's interesting when we started sharing this project with uh, different producers and, um, uh, and a lot of men were kind of like, what or a lot of people thought how is this a conflict like isn't your life amazing and it's like um there are parts (laughs) of my life that are amazing but no like there you know there's a lot of pain that comes from this decision and a lot of discomfort that comes from this decision and if you you watched our pilot and you know there was this scene where um I, I, my character is left out of a party because the only people that are invited to like little kids parties are other people with little kids. But if you're, all of your friends have little kids except you, all of your friends are invited. And then you see everybody on Facebook like standing around drinking wine. And it's like, I can stand around and drink wine. Yeah. I don't, just because there's, I don't have a kid there, why am I not included? And that happened to me and I felt incredibly, incredibly left out. So those stories, we have a gazillion stories from our own real lives about how this decision has affected everything. Right. We have a, a character on the show who who wanted a, a baby so terribly bad and and has it. And now that she's in it, she's scared to death that if she's doing it right or not. So she she but she's afraid to admit that um, that it's hard. She's afraid to admit mm. that perhaps she feels that she is in over her head or, you know, perhaps she's she's afraid to say i want your i want my single life back i or i she she's not single but i want my uh, uh child free life back like you know she like you said so this show even though in reality someone may not say that in this show everybody actually everybody's truth katie everybody yeah. actually is revealing that side of them that fear of Maybe there is something else that I'm missing out. Maybe there is, maybe this choice that I've made was the wrong choice. And how does that affect everything else? Like I'm back in the mm-hmm. dating pool, right? So it's like when I meet people on the dating apps, it's like if they want children, they're out for me, 
right? Or if they have children, mm. they're out for me. So how does that affect me now as a middle-aged woman trying to find a partner? And it's it's hard. It's really hard. I think like th- one of the themes that I get recurring from this podcast is that no matter what decision a woman makes in her life, there is always going to be in the back of her head this doubt that I made this is the wrong choice and it doesn't matter what the decision is it could be changing jobs it could be moving to another country it could be a divorce it could be having children it could be not having children literally everything I don't know why we just innately second guess everything and I don't know if it's internal or if we've been socialized or if it's the damn patriarchy that has told us that that we can't be confident in our decisions but I'm fascinated by the idea that there is fear on both ends of it the fear of like what if I never find a partner what if I never have kids I I, this is so personal story my um neighbors uh recently had a child and during quarantine that child was one and a half to two years old and they were sleep training her and I started referring to her as screamy baby because that is all I heard was screamy baby and it was just so loud and specifically I would hear it at 7 30 and I was like oh it's bedtime all of it like just solidified the like not having kids thing I was like this is motherfucking miserable right yeah but I can sit here at the same time curious or maybe even worried dare I say that like I don't know what what if I'm missing out right and also you were talking before about um uh you know you in your 20s you just assumed that you would right so did I I was like you get married you have children that's what that's what happens I have a name I I have a name book girl I bet every woman in America has a goddamn name book yeah Keegan Keegan okay anywho um (laughs) the other thing is like now I feel like I've Thank God my brother had children, but it's also like one of my closest friends is an only child. And then deciding not to have a child, not to have children. How does their, do their parents feel about never having grandchildren? Like your decision isn't just about you when you come mm. from this a family structure. So it's like, oh God, am I denying my parents the opportunity to yes. be grandparents? Yes. That's yes, absolutely, yes, I am. That's yes, absolutely yes. part of it. Or like uh, this came up recently because my brother is gay and uh-huh. he could still have children and we don't know the future of that. Right. But right. Um, and I'm uh, 41 and single, so it is less likely that I'm going to have children. I have a smaller window. Let's just say that. Right. 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 Um, I have two total cousins and one of them named his daughter with a hyphenate last name and I have this very Republican uncle that is freaking out that the family name is oh, no. going to die. Oh I'm the last one of mine. I'm <laughs> just like mm-hmm. do you know how many family names have died yeah. in the centuries of yeah. America like People do it willingly all the time. Like, no one needs to chase the heirs. There's goddamn ancestry.com if you really need to know who you're connected to. Like, yeah, but I, I am cares? the last one in my family. And but it's funny, nobody's actually brought that up except for me. I'm like, hey, <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I'm so sorry. You're the um, last in a legacy. <laughs> but yes, in answer to your question, will you regret it? Yes. Well, you know, you you always if you did it, would you regret it? Yes. Maybe. (laughs) Yes. So it's like every every choice you make, not just this parenting choice. Right. Every choice we make comes with not making the other choice. 
most people fall into codependent relationships where they're so focused on making sure that their partner makes them happy or they feel needed or they're so intertwined in that relationship where you almost end up with this parent-child dynamic. Mm. Whether um, that's a woman trying to make sure that a guy steps up and does sort of does all these different things or whether there's a woman who's kind of needy to a guy or, or whatever that might be. And that's where you miss out on this sexual chemistry and that passion that feels absolutely freaking amazing. You can't have that if you're in that parent-child dynamic. Right. So it's, it's more about when I have a look at relationships that fail, there's a few different things um, behind that. Often it's things like communication. You know, people just don't know how to really talk and connect with each other. And that ruins so many, so many relationships. The other thing is that people don't know themselves enough to be able to say, okay, this person's right for me or this person isn't. And also we tend to find that people end up um, being in a place where we talk about that collaboration piece and being accountable for yourselves. Well, most people who feel unhappy within their life or feel unhappy within themselves project that onto the partner and -hmm. it becomes the partner's fault. Mm -hmm. So when we have a look at relationships as a a whole, I think the reason that over 50% of marriages fail is because either they've not gone into a relationship with a um, compatible partner, they've not been in a place to be able to communicate fully so they get their needs met, and also they don't um, either know themselves enough or they don't understand themselves enough in a way that they can make themselves happy and still build an amazing life alongside being in a relationship without allowing that to be their partner's responsibility. Yeah, so what you're saying is like, it's it's not just that individualism and being a good partner are at odds with each other. It's actually the reverse, that in order to be a good partner, you need to be individualistic in that you're so self-confident in your in your own right. Yeah. Yeah, because what we tend to find is people are going into relationships purely to get. And it's like, right. look, you're not perfect. Your partner's not perfect. <laughs> Yet you're expecting this perfect dynamic and for them to make you happy and for them to do this and do that. And the other thing is, you know, you think about emotions in general. Our emotions go up and down. Like, you know, like they're you know, all over the place sometimes. And it's like... We don't give that allowance for a partner to go through that as well. And it's almost like we expect, we put so much emphasis on the partner being perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, And when they don't meet those expectations, it's this big, massive, oh no, this is the wrong relationship or this is wrong, rather than actually going, okay, how can we make this better? How do right. we, you know, is, is this something that you need to deal with or I need to deal with, or is it something that we need to work together on? Yeah. And that's totally what I was vibrating with mm. is this era of like egotism. And like I said, the me decade of Instagram, where we all believe we're so freaking fabulous that we <laughs> are pro- better than the losers that we're matching with. But if everyone is feeling that they're so amazing, no one wants to actually put in the effort for the other person, we all kind of expect the other person to come to us. That's what I'm experiencing on dating apps, for example, like this, I don't have enough time to talk to you because I'm so busy or, you know, like expecting the other person to set up the date, etc. But 
I think I think it's a really beautiful reframe to lean into not being unapologetic about prioritizing ourselves, but using prioritizing ourselves in order to show up for a better person. Yeah. And just to add on where you were saying about, you know, you have these people like the influencers on Instagram and, and saying how amazing they are. It's also discovering if that's the the truth or if that's the facade. Totally true. Totally yeah. True. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and this is the other thing with dating. That's why I love body language so much because most people only get to the point where they've got two facades you know, interacting. And with the body language, we're able to support people to connect with the real person, not the facade. And that's super important, especially when you're looking at that person, you want the truth of that person to know if they're the right person to develop that relationship with. Whatever happens for you in December with people, without people, as you transition into a brand new year where we start over, I hope you find some space to have grace for yourself and for others. And I cannot wait to bring you brand new awesome episodes for 2022. That's it for this episode. We will catch you next time. 